my auntie's restaurant, they had a stool cupboard in the back and had a little pool table in there. Small table, maybe like six foot, six foot three. That was it. I just spent my time in that stool cupboard just playing, you know. I just started going to tournaments and things straight away and I really enjoyed it, you know. I enjoyed the buzz of uh, performing. I didn't have no intentions of being the best in the UK. I knew I was going to be there. That was like a given. And I think that record might stand. I'm still probably the youngest UK number one that there was. My whole thing was I need to be one of the world's elite. I was the UK number one at like 21 years old and then at the age of 23, I went and won a world title, uh, the World Pool Masters. It's in my sport. I beat the best ever, all of them. Mm. You know, all, all of them that came, they're all not, oh, this division, that division. No, you couldn't hide. It don't matter. You're the best of the Philippines. I got you. You're the best of America. I got you too. The best in Europe. I got you too. The game has been in the wrong hands, you know? It's not been promoted properly. So that's a, that's something new that we're doing. It's like what the IPL is for cricket, what the NBA is for basketball. You know, you could call it the PBL. Yeah, you're going to see a lot more pool on your TVs real soon. Welcome back to the CoachCast podcast. My guest today is a professional pool player and former World Pool Masters champion. Welcome, Raj, the Hitman Hundle. How are you doing, bro? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, brother. I'm good, brother. I appreciate you uh, sparing the time. As, as you well know, uh, uh, what I like to do at the beginning of each podcast is sort of take a trip down memory lane. Want to want to know a bit more about Baby Raj, a bit about your upbringing, a bit about your cultural background. I know that pool and snooker is uh, linked, but we'll try to keep that to the side for one moment until we get into it. But uh, what what was Baby Raj like? Oh, what was I like? Um, it was different. You know, I was told I was very different. Uh, I think my uncle saw that I, I was gifted in certain ways and, and uh, he, he realised that, you know, I was kind of always in my animal spirit and kind of feel like I still am, you know. It's, um, I just, uh, I, I do everything on feel and instinct and, and I've always lived that way. But then, so sports, naturally, that's how I enjoyed and excelled in sports, you know. I did, I did everything with touch and feel. So uh, things came very natural to me, but... Baby Raj, yeah, listen, man, uh, born in Hounslow. We're not too much, you know, I come from a very humble home, you know, and uh, yeah, just hardworking mum and dad. They're always on the back foot in life, you know, because they came here as, well, my dad actually came to this country when he was like nine months old or a year old or something. He was a little baby. So, mm-hmm. you know, my dad talks like you and I do. Mm-hmm. But then uh, my mom who's uh, extremely smart and, and a very strong woman is uh, she came in, she was like 17, 18, you know, married straight away. Uh, she had me at 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was just a baby herself and she had a baby in a way, you know, like yeah. I think about it at 20, like I'm a dad and I, I couldn't imagine being a dad at 20 years old. I wouldn't even know. Like that was still, you know, I was a kid. So it was hard for them, you know, and it wasn't, they didn't come here with, um, you know, uh, a silver spoon or anything like that. You know, it's, it's nothing but hard work. And I can never work as hard as them or, or do what they did in life, you know? No chance. 100%. And I can fully relate to that because it was a similar situation with my mum and dad. Uh, I think my mum came when she was uh, 20 and had my, my oldest brother when she was 21. Uh, so it was a similar situation to yourself in that respect. And I think that's what most... Uh, what most um, descendants of immigrants, whether it be your own parents or your grandparents, can sort of relate to because a lot of people will be in the same boat in that situation. And and another thing, probably more specific to South Asians, is is shop life. And I know obviously you uh, you spent a lot of time in, in in the back of the shop and 
unfortunately i w- i also spent a lot of time in my upbringing in the back of a shop but i didn't have a pool table or a snooker table <laughs> but but you did yeah no i was lucky my um my uh, mom's sister my massey had uh, had a stool covered in the back and had a little pool table in there and i think it was my older cousin you know all my cousins were all like a, you know a decade older than me so i was like a little kid to them and they're already grown teenagers while I'm like, you know, six years old. Mm-hmm. And they would, uh, I think it was like his birthday gift, small table, maybe like six foot, six foot three. And that was, yeah, I just spent my time in that store cupboard just playing, you know, because my parents couldn't really, they had to work just to make ends meet. And, you know, my dad, he was always busy, but he was a very good, very good snooker pool player himself anyway. But he's always busy putting in double, triple shifts at work and stuff. And um, so there was no babysitter or anybody, you know. I mean, I kid you not, I'd be six years old. I'd be walking the streets, getting from school to, to my auntie's restaurant, even by myself. But back then, it was a different time. It was a lot safer. You know, it was everybody knew, you know, I could walk past every house and tell you which family lived where. and oh that's so-and-so's grandmother and that's that you know everybody would know and and it was a it was a different time in life whereas now everybody's a stranger in a way you know mm-hmm. like i could roll through hounslow now and i find it hard to recognize uh people everyone every, the whole thing changed you know so, you think yeah. back then it was more tight-knit communities because because one more people were probably in the struggle together and, and two uh, obviously social media plays an impact people are probably aren't as, as close because they're, they're probably asked about the friends on Facebook more than the neighbours or something like that uh, I mean you're you could be right there but then I, I, I don't want to sound bad when I say this but a lot of our people did really well really fast because they worked hard they bought mm-hmm. property you know they were smart we didn't really rent you know we'd buy something yeah. or live together and, and shit I remember living three families in one house once upon a time Mm-hmm. I kid you not, there's only one bathroom. You know, like today, I, like, I look at my my house, I've got seven bathrooms. I feel embarrassed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's funny, you know, but the, the, the truth is, um, yeah, that was that was just a tougher time. And But our people worked hard as a community together. And, and listen, in the end, when your wings get bigger, you fly, you know, you go elsewhere. So, you know, today we're in different places now. And... Uh, me too. I mean, I left um, I left Hounslow quite a while back, more than a handful of years ago, and um, it's always in my heart. And, and you know, I would always say that's where I'm from. You know, that's 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 the town that made me. But at the end of the day, um, as soon as I could, I, I I went to if you want to call it a more affluent area or a, or a nicer area or a quieter area or an area with a bit more space. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's some horses walking about where I live now, whereas. Yeah. Back in the day, you're never gonna see that in Hounslow, you know. So for for me, this is like a, a like it's a complete different world because I'm from Newcastle, and okay. born and brought up there. And and what I've heard from like down south is a bit more diverse, should I say? So okay. f- for yourself, when you're talking about this this larger community and everyone banding together and obviously becoming more successful, was this was this something that was a were you aware of it as a child when you were when you were growing up or was it something that was it was just the norm i mean but there was still a big mix you know because i'm i'm in i'm in like you know a part of west london there so people come through um the world's busiest airport is on our doorstep you know and it's listen 
and that was beautiful to see uh, people from all different walks of life and you get to experience their culture and food and, and, and music and cloth, you know, and you think, so it was nice like that. We, we had a, a great, but we also would band together as a, as a community. And even now, if you look in Hausa, there's a big uh, Eastern European uh, community. And, you know, a lot of them are, are, are like friends and family with, with our community. So it's, I think it's just a town like that. You all kind of just mix together, but, yeah, it's, it was different, you know, and, and it was, I, I think it was an advantage, uh, most definitely, you know, to be around so many different people and you can learn from, you know, different things from different people. It's just up to you, you know, if you want to keep your eyes and ears open. 100%, 100% agree with that. And that's sort of a part of this podcast as well. I've been fortunate enough to speak to not just a lot of South Asians, not a lot, just not a lot of up and as I am, but also some uh, like diverse people as well. And that, that's the whole point is when you realise that most of us come from very similar backgrounds, when you ball, ball everything down to the simple things, you know what I mean? The struggles and, and things of being outcasts and things, most people are quite similar in that respect. Um, g- going back to your Massey's restaurant, six years old on a six foot table could probably barely reach over it. Uh, and as you already mentioned, your dad was quite an avid snooker player as well. And I think he's the one that sort of recognized that you were good, uh, probably better than good. I'm probably underselling it here, but is he the one that sort of supported you and pushed you to get into, I think you went to snooker clubs and by the age of 11, were like in little competitions and things. Yeah, I, well, I'll be honest with you, straight away, really, because, yeah, him, like, the whole family could see that there was there was some sort of talent there, you know, there was a gift in my hands, but I just started going, I just started going to tournaments and things straight away, and, and I really enjoyed it, you know, I enjoyed the buzz of uh, performing, and the crowd reacting the way they would react and stuff, even at a young age, I would, I could draw a crowd, like, from nowhere, you know, they start watching, thinking, who's this kid potting everything, and I enjoyed it. You know, I knew at that age, I knew at six years old, um, you know, I'd even written it in my books that, look, that's what I'm going to be when I'm older. You know, I'm going to play Q sports for a living. And luckily that's, you know, that's what was written in my stars, you know? 100%. As we say that your dad gave support there and you've put it in your book of turning professional. We're skipping a bit forward here, but by the time you're 17, obviously you, you're quite successful at snooker. Um, and I think this is roughly the time that you were about to leave school as well. And I'm yeah. skipping out a large portion of this because you did even feature on like Sky Sports and, and played like on national TV and, and things like that. So it wasn't just like you were coming up the ranks and you, you sort of went, oh, I'm going to skip school sort of thing. No, no, no. I was around since I, look, they knew my name uh, since I was like a teenager, you know, they knew I was coming. It's not in, a, in the industry. It was no surprise. You know, they knew that this boy's coming through. And, um, you know, I made my mark young like that, where I, I was I was a naturally gifted player, but I, I made sure that, you know, they knew they knew who they were dealing with. So it, it was only, but you got to be like that, you know, it's um, a lot of times you've got to put a little bit of fear, not even fear, but they got to have some respect for you before you show up. Mm-hmm. And, and like I would for them too. And, and, and knowing that, hey, that's a dangerous player, but I know that that player also knows you know, I'm a dangerous player too. And that was even before I turned professional. And then as soon as I did, I, I made it, I think I turned, yeah, I was 17 years old when I turned professional. Like the hour I turned 17 and it was allowed and that was it. I just turned pro and I was debuting on, on Sky Sports and things. And it's kind of cool because I was at school still, you know? Yeah. It was, uh, 
I was like walking around as if I was David Beckham, mate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, obviously, talking the town, definitely talking the school. Um, um, but what, what was the decision like when you wanted to leave school and pursue it full time? Because obviously, in, in a South Asian community, in a South Asian household, that sort of decision is is always going to be a risky one. And I, I even remember, I think I've heard you speak about when, when you went to go see your uh, now missus's parents, so you, you're now in-laws, and, and they asked you, well, what do you do for a time? You can't be playing pool. Do you know what I mean? Like all of these things sort of get taken into consideration. So what was that decision like when you wanted to do it full time? Um, and, and a lot of people thought I was joking, you know, <laughs> they thought I was, uh, I was messing about. But not my mum and dad or my brother or anybody, you know, or, or say my girlfriend at the time, you know, knew that, you know, that this is what this guy's about. He's not messing around. I didn't have no intentions of being the best in the UK. I knew I was going to be there. That was like a given. I knew that. It's, that's just a matter of time to like get that number. And I think that record might stand. I'm still probably the youngest UK number one that there was. I don't, I haven't looked. I don't know if some new kid come and knock that off or something, but um, yeah, I, I knew that. It was just, my whole thing was, I need to be one of the world's elite. That's, that's what, you know, I'm not leaving, I'm not going to stop playing until I'm, you know, until I get that mark and that, that respect. And for me, I, I'll be honest, it was more with the other great players that I'd learned from over the years. And when I walk in a room, you know, they stop for a minute, they turn around and they'll salute, you know, and that's, that's out of respect. Look, naturally, I got a lot of respect for them. They paved the way, you know, great champions that I could learn from. And it's nice, you know, it's nice to have that. that and that's all I ever wanted. I, I, right, I'm, I belong in the world's elite. Mm -hmm. Listen, it's hard to be the, the best at my sport because you're only as good as the last shot you ever played, you know, and it's, it's a hard game where you're going to win every tournament. That's not, that's never going to happen, you know? Yeah. It's not like um, certain sports where you can actually dominate for certain, like even tennis, you could dominate for certain tournaments on it. It's very rare you'll find a guy that ever won two tournaments back to back. It's just so many great players and so many variables in the game. And, you know, there's, there's so many moving parts where you can't hit, you can't hit the target every single time. There's no way in the world you're going to finish number one at every tournament. There's no way you're going to win like three tournaments back to back. That's not happening. So how how do they um, figure out like a ranking system, give, taking that into consideration? Like, obviously, if you can't win every single tournament, but it's sort of given that this person is the outstanding player at this given time, how is that figured out? Well, it's like anything. You just take the average, you know. So um, you just check where someone keeps finishing, and and certain rewards for certain rankings. Um, I think at best I was ranked like number three on the BCA World Rankings. Um, yeah, I was I was I was ranked number three. But here's the thing: I actually missed one tournament that season, and. If I'd actually showed up to that and did some damage, I might have nicked the number one spot or, or probably number two or something. But you can only sit on top of that tree for a second. You know, it's like you're only up there for Christmas. It's like the angel, you know, after that, it's coming <laughs> down, man. You know, it's, uh, you got to get, because it's that kind of sport. It, it's, uh, it's a very hard sport. It's, it's almost like golf. But no, I don't want to say golf. Because the, the, golf, if you really are playing better than everyone, you're going to beat him because... The course is the same for everybody. But mm -hmm. when you play pool, remember this, how you break and the, the, the outcome, the layout of the table, well, sometimes you might just have it where it's like so easy. It's almost like it's your birthday every time. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of times you're not going to get that opportunity to get the train running, you know, and get that momentum going because the table's not giving you that opportunity. And it's most people will never understand that. It's a very, this is a sport where sometimes you're in that chair. It's a very lonely place, you know? And is it's, it, uh, is it hard for you to mindset to deal with it? Not everyone can deal with it. I was just about to say that. How much does the mental part play in it? Because it is an individual sport and you always see, like, from a, for example, I'm a big fan of boxing and, and you can't really compare boxing to a team sport because it is very individualistic. There's a lot of mind games involved. And you mentioned before the respect that you give each other um, and, and when you walk into a room and, and the respect that you need to command before you play somebody else because you need to sort of sort of strike that fear in them with your own confidence. How much of that side plays a part? Like, can, can you, I don't want to say rattle someone before you play them, but I, I think you know what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, you, you, you could, listen, a good friend of mine, you know him, he's like the smoothest in the business, uh, Ronnie, right? So, mm-hmm. right, listen, he told me he knew when he was going to beat Stephen Hendry before he played him. No disrespect, Stephen Hendry's a great champion. He's one of the greatest of all time. And Ronnie will tell you he's the greatest of all time, but we all know it's Ronnie. The truth <laughs> is, um, he used to say his, it was in his walk, it was in his demeanour, in his persona around the table and how he would manoeuvre around. So. He said, I, when, he, when his timing and his speed were a little bit off, he goes, I knew I had him. I knew I had him. It, it was so, listen, knowing that, what Ronnie will do is sometimes he'll just speed his momentum up just to catch that gear as he's playing and, and hope that everything kind of clicks into place. And then his cueing is in and his eyes are in and his feet. And once he's in like that, there's nobody in the world that could beat him. I feel like that too. Once I get in that rhythm, you know, I'm a very rhythmic player. So once I start going, it can... I made professional matches look like they were exhibition matches, like, you know, real flamboyant. And I like that because I'll tell you this, if when you beat somebody like that, they don't forget you too fast. They think about you. They think, what did that guy do to me? You know, and it's, I've done that to some great players. I mean, that's, that's, that's my style of play. You're never going to catch me um, walking around and measuring for too long and trying to put the audience to sleep. No, I like keeping them awake. You know, it's uh and, and that feeling there when the other guy's in the chair and he can't do nothing about it, I know it's got to hurt. It sounds like like uh, you went to like flow state, is, I think is, is the term, isn't it? Like when you, you're just in your flow, it's like a natural sort of thing that just so, comes to you in the zone. It's, it's, it's a zone and it's a beautiful... For me, it's like the most uh, addictive thing ever. Like when you hit that zone, let me tell you something. It's beautiful and I miss it. I can't wait to get out and play again, but it, it's, I can't get that feeling unless I'm in an actual proper arena and mm. I've got like some of the world's best in front of me that I've got a lot of love and respect for as a player and I think, right, it's time to battle. So going back to your, your question, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about mindset. It's all about how you bring yourself that day, but on top of that, you can't just show up looking for your game. You are going to have to bring it with you. So the training in the background has to be done. You, you can't cheat the process, you know? I can tell you that. There's times in my career I was out and partying and enjoying my life a bit too much. Let me tell you, I got beat up by the best in the world. There's no way in the world you're going to cheat that process. I don't care what sport you play. You know, it's uh, you have to put that work in. But then when you show up, you do want to have that confidence about you and, and, and confidence within your game, not in a cocky way or anything, but have that 
that kind of play as well, where you're aggressive as opposed to you're timid and you're on the back foot. You know, you're mm -hmm. you're you're pressing forward. You're the aggressor. I've always been that way when I play. You know, I, I even if I go down guns blazing, that's cool. But there'll be guns blazing. You know, yes, we're gonna be doing something, and it's just some. But I mean, that's 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 not only who I am in the sport I play. That's who I am in my life. You know, and that's that's who we are in our blood. You know, and, and and that's a DNA thing, I believe. Hundred percent. Well, I think yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, quite quite an ignorant question I'm going to ask, and you, you might get this quite often. But what does training involve for for pool and snooker? Is it literally just setting up a table, breaking, seeing how the table comes, and trying to pop things and and put like simulating games over and over and over again, so that you've got your angles like absolutely perfect or is there anything else like that you would that the the average person probably wouldn't consider i see look that's a, that's a very hard question because it depends where you are in your career they say to master something you have to do ten thousand hours consecutive at some point i've probably done multiples of those i think you know i, I really put my time in as a kid i put that so it's ingrained in me and and I'm lucky where I've got a natural ability as opposed to I've really got to go searching deep and hard and for long hours for it, you know? Mine shows up quite fast. And all i got to do is just keep it fine-tuned. And once I caught it, I mean, look, if I really wanted to get dialed in, I'd have to put like two, three weeks in, maybe call a few players, hang out with a few players, get that quality practice in, you know, get competing, get in that mindset. Then, then it's, I mean, for me personally, I could just put like an hour in a day from there on and that fine tuning is right there. And let's just say I'm going to go to an event, um, just put a little bit, just put a little bit of match play in, you know, maybe play a few players or something, you know, maybe gamble a few sets or something. So it keeps you sharp, you know, and that's, mm. that's not because I've got some sort of bloody gambling problem. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I like the pressure, you know, I, I perform best. And the, like all of these guys, all these guys I played, man, they're all champions. They're all like me. I ain't the only one, you know. It's, uh, it's that's where like pool. It's different. It's you know, you might not hear a golfer or a tennis player talk like this, you know. But they they come from a different world from from us. Like you might catch boxers talk like this, you know. It's uh, I was literally saying well, while you're talking about this, uh, the comparison for me keeps on going to boxing because again, it's individualistic. But when you're saying you need to get dialed in, put your hours in, and then get your friends to come out and have a few matches it's sparring in my mind that's what basically you've just said is to get your timing right and everything and and to put a bit more pressure on it's like inviting over a boxer from a different gym to have a little spa do you know what I mean and, and get back into the ante in that sort of in that sort of side of things but gambling seems to be a a, a thing that is sort of linked inherently with the sport of snooker and pool because a lot of it does come to pool halls and Obviously, that's where games will be played for for money. Is that something that is still in the sport now, or is it like not as much? Not 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 as much as it um, not as much as it once was because times have changed. You know, some things are sometimes frowned upon, and and or or just culture and fashion and things change. You know, it's like the way people think. It's mm -hmm. uh, but there was a time, you're talking of the times of, uh, remember the movie with Tom Cruise, The Color of Money? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Color of Money, Paul Newman, Tom Cruise, it was about going on the road and gambling. This is true. This is, this is, and that sparked almost like 
a, a mad trend and craze throughout America. There were so many pool halls. I mean, you can Google this. This is a fact. And everybody wanted to be a hustler on the pool table. Yeah. Good thing about pool, and now you can compare it to something like poker, there's always a place in the middle where somebody can match up with somebody else. You know, like a, a guy who's just almost a beginner, he's not really going to play with me. You know, it's not a good idea for him. And he knows that, especially if he's someone who likes to have a little flutter or a little gamble, little punt on the game. So, and a lot of people do that to make a living too. And some mm -hmm. people do that just for the thrill and the buzz and the, you know, I just want to be involved in the action. And I mean, for whatever reason they do it, it gets done. And <sighs> America was like, uh, just a goldmine for it, you know, and the Philippines as well. Like, listen, certain countries you could go right now, you could go in the Philippines and you just be like stuck gambling all day long with somebody in any town. And, and it, it's almost like religion over there. You know, some of the most famous people are, listen, I've been at Manny Pacquiao's house playing pool with him because he's a, he's a fan of pool. Yeah. He knew he knew about us before we knew about him in a way, you know. It's like uh, like the old greats like Efren Reyes and Francisco Bustamante. They're legendary, my brother. Like like I seen the most amazing thing in my life one time. So I'm with them. We went out for dinner. Um, real like like you know like literally the president of the country and and the mayor. Everyone's there, right? It's like it's some serious stuff going on. And as we walked out of this restaurant. Efren Reyes has gone over the road to do something. Like He's acting like he's a normal person. He's the most famous person in the country, Efren. And a group of kids, about 20 of them, ran up to him over the road and just touched him and ran away. And I asked the driver, I said, uh, I said, Pare, which means brother in, in Tagalog. I said, uh, I said, why did he do that? And he goes to me, he goes, um, he goes, they, they touch him because he's good luck. Oh, wow. I was like, are you serious? I said, wow, that was amazing. And then I learned after that that they're loved and respected so much. Them two are like tax exempts in the country. And, you know, it's like uh, they get a lot of love. And I tell you what, they deserve every bit of it. It's, it's like hope, isn't it? From, from the story of like, from money, from what I know, like he, he's literally rags to riches, essentially. Um, yeah. And is obviously like a boxing legend. I was going to ask that because I know that he is, he, he's not exactly too bad at the sport himself of, of pool. He's, he's fairly good from what I understand. Really good. He plays really, he plays all sports really good, to be honest. He plays, Manny Pacquiao, listen, we all know how he boxes. Yeah? That's not mm -hmm. a secret. But then you've got um, basketball, he plays great. Pool, he plays great. Like all of these games, he's semi pro. I'm not messing about with him. Like yeah. he's, he's right there. He's, he, sorry. He's, he's right, he's right there. And uh, man, I, I tell you what, this this guy, he the chess, he plays chess, mm -hmm. uh, backgammon. You can pick a sport, this guy can play it, you know. And it's um, it's kind of really cool. It's nice to see because I can relate to that a little bit myself. And um, yeah, ama amazing, amazing to watch him. I tell you what, I was watching him play pool. I remember he was playing some big businessman. He came in from Japan. And I think they were betting something like 50,000 a set and they were just playing all night. I don't even know who won or finished or it was in his uh, continental uh, hotel in, in, in Manila. And he's got like a casino on the top floor. It's just like, it was the, the craziest action I've ever seen in my life. You know, just like, it was nothing like, yeah, just 50 grand a set, just playing just for fun. 
it's like brilliant, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I think um, I, I've heard on the Joe Rogan podcast before because Joe Rogan's f- fairly familiar with like pool and quite quite an avid player himself. And I think he was talking about how good money is at pool um, as well. And and it is just crazy when you think that again, like yourself, like when people are sometimes just naturally gifted at sports in general. It's just whichever the one they want to pick to take further. And for him, you, you probably just took boxing. For yourself, you took pool. But if you wanted to turn your hand to other things, you probably could have. Going back to um, going back to seventeen-year-old Raj. Um, so we've sort of switched from snooker to pool to snooker to pool. But that was roughly the time when that switch yeah, happened. Like, like sixteen, I kind of fell out of love with um, snooker a little bit. I guess I just got kind of burnt out with it. Uh, you know, I, I did it for so long and went so hard and it was just like you know you do uh, I kind of lost a bit a lot and then I stumbled across American pool and I really enjoyed it It was a fast attacking aggressive game like and everybody's shooting that way and I just thought I like this actually and I just fell in love with the game you know and I just kind of I stopped playing snooker I took the snooker table uh, um, out of the equation and just that was it man it was American pool for me and has been ever since what are the the main differences between snooker and pool for someone like, uh, again, ignorant like myself, obviously, and I've, I've played both. I understand the basic rules, but for me, when it comes to pool, there's there's so many different types. Like I've obviously watched Ronnie in snooker tournaments on, on TV. I've played games like eight ball pool, nine ball pool on my phone or whatever. <laughs> but what are the main, <laughs> main differences that if you were going to sort of simplify it? Uh, main differences. I mean, you got obviously the equipment, you know, the the, the pocket size, ball size, um, the cue, the weight. So it's 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 like let's just say racket sports, uh, badminton and tennis. They're both racket sports, but the the equipment's completely different, and mm-hmm. so is the format, and and so is the court, you know, and the height of the net and things. So it's just it's just a different game in that sense. But the core basics are the same. You know how you would hold the cue in a way and aim. So you know, you can switch back and forward, but it's hard to be the king of two different jungles, you know? It's um, to reign supreme in any one of them. You have to be fully dedicated. I mean, Ronnie tried it as well. Like, they don't get no better than that. You know, even he he come along to the pool and he did a few things, actually. He did he did a few little bits and bobs, but could never really get it, you know? It was because, and if he did, it would affect his snooker. I'm 100% sure of it, you know? But he, I'll tell you what, he's so gifted, he'd probably get away with it every now and then. <laughs> is it annoying when you get questions like that to, to, when people sort of put them in the same bracket? Because they're, they're probably, for you, you obviously know every single little detail which is different about them. Is it annoying when people like well, me go, like, are they the same? <laughs> well, look, it's like, it's like saying, um, uh, um, you know, uh, taekwondo or kickboxing. Uh, they're, mm. they're both martial arts, but they're different. You know, it's like MMA and boxing, you know, it's it's all combat, but it's it's different, you know, and it's, and listen, I I try and learn from anyone I can. So I do watch certain snooker players and and study how they go about their work, you know, and I'm sure there's certain snooker players might have seen uh, some pool players like Efren or or, or whoever, just to see the creative element of, of the game, because and even like free cushion billiards, you know, you see some, you see some real beautiful things on that table, and and it can open your mind to 
new ways of executing shots and doing things and, and seeing things, you know, and it's no harm can really come off it. For, from what I understand, there is probably more types of pool though. Like for, for snooker, snooker is snooker. There doesn't seem to be like different variations. Whereas as I said before, like you've just mentioned free cushion bullyards. You then you mentioned American pool before there's eight ball, there's nine ball. What's like, how would, what's the difference between all of these? Is it, does it stem back from the gambling days where people were just trying to make up different rules or uh, how, how do these different variations come about? Well, look, say, say English pool, reds and yellows. Um, I never really played that game, to be honest. I mean, you might have just, you know, had a game in the pub with your friends, but I, I'll be honest, I've never, never, I never even had a cue for that game. So it was like, that there is something that's really only played, say here, maybe Australia. Um, a bit in like Gibraltar or something like that, maybe Malta. It, it's hardly played anywhere. And the equipment's completely different. You know, it's like playing almost ping pong. And then snooker would be a bit more like, I would say, badminton with the equipment, you know, a bit heavier, a bit, bit more to it. And American pool, which would be eight ball, nine ball. You could play, you could play a 10 ball, a rotation pool. Uh, straight pool, you know, bank pool. There's so many different disciplines that can be played on the American pool table. So it's it is the most well. There's more American pool tables in the world than there are, I think, I think anything else. You know, I don't know. I could be wrong there. Actually, maybe no. I, I think that's right. That's right. In what I'm saying, there'll be a more American pool tables. Well, because the sports actually played in a lot more countries. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, all over Europe. Every single European country. Every Asian country, yeah, for sure. It's where snooker's really only played a little bit in India and China, you know? But right. those countries also play American pool, and so do all the others. So it's, yeah. Uh, but uh, the game has been in the wrong hands, you know? It's not been promoted properly. So that's uh, that's something new that we're doing as well. And, um, yeah, you're going to see a lot more pool on your TVs real soon. That's for sure. I'm excited. I'm excited. Um when you say um, the, all the different variations, so when, when you turned pro, um, and I think it was 1999 when you were 19 uh, in pool, and then by 2005, at the age of 23, you were the youngest, um, what was it, the youngest world pool championship winner. I think I think I turned pro at like 17, if I remember carefully. Like, uh, 17, probably like 98, yeah. Okay, I haven't researched properly then. I've seen a few. I must no, be getting the wrong sources. You're, yeah, it'd have been late 98, you know, yeah. so towards 99. So you're only like probably a few months off. And then I, I, I was the UK number one at like 21 years old. Yeah. And then at the age of 23, I, um, I went and won a world title. Yeah, the Whirlpool Masters. I, I remember that very well. How was that? Like, what was, was that feeling like? Great feeling, you know, it's something I, I accomplished that uh, stayed with me forever, you know, it's, it's a beautiful, um, it's nice, you know, that feeling even now to this day when someone reminds me, I think, wow, you know, I was lucky enough to do that. Not not everybody gets to say they won a world title in something, you know, and and actually, you know, I was sitting on top of the world for that minute and it's uh, it was nice. It was nice. Uh, that'll always stay with me. It was beautiful. It was magic. Do you feel like when, when reaching the pinnacle of, anything in life and obviously and for yourself it would be brutal do you think that gives you a certain mindset that can be transformed into anything in life 
I think I think a winning mindset is is something that yeah you can you can take to any other field, whether it be your work or, or your your personal life. You know, you you uh, whatever it be, it's 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 in you, isn't it, to win? Mm-hmm. Now, winning is a habit, and uh, losing is a habit too. So yeah, you wanna you wanna try and get on the on on the winning side of the fence more often and stick with that because it's a mindset again. You know, it's to, it's to find a way, it's, it's to win, it's to be able to sacrifice and train and be able to do these things for a better reward at the end, you know, and it's, you can apply that anywhere you want in life, it's it's on you at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. And, and while you were at the pinnacle of the sport, and, and obviously you were world champion, you're, you're obviously from a Sikh background, you've you've got uh, uncut hair, you have like Iramal on all the time yeah. when you're competing. And that's not a thing that is is commonly seen, even now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think if you think of world champions that are are practicing Sikhs, yeah, I, you can't really think of any. The only others like saying that I know of who's a world champion at the moment is Arjun Buller in in uh, one championship. He's a heavyweight champion. But, I know, um, I know, the MMA fighter, right? MMA fighter, yeah. But even that was like this year. This was 15 years ago. You're probably the only person at the highest level who is representing. But can I ask you something? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of love and respect to Arza, but that's the, the the place where he's got that world title. That's not the that's not the pedigree, though, is it? There's the UFC is the one. Am I wrong in saying that? So this is a has he really beat the best heavyweights in the world in his like you know, and I don't want to knock it or nothing, but the truth is, I know this in my sport. I beat the best ever, all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all of them that came, they're all not oh this division that division. No, you couldn't hide. It don't matter. You're the best of the Philippines. I got you. You're the best of America. I got you too. The best in Europe. I got you too. So it's no disrespect to no one, but you're gonna have to do a lot in this world of you know uh, winning world titles to impress me because. You know, I've been about and around the best of them as well. So it's, uh, I want to see him get up in the UFC and beat him. And then, uh, you know, I can really go respect, you know, give more. He got a lot of my respect anyway, period. You know, he's a check to get up there and do what he's done there. And it's beautiful. But I want to see him go that step. I know, was he in the UFC for a little bit and then he left? Is that right? Yeah, I believe he so. Got- I, be- I believe he, he had a spell in the UFC. Um, I think the, I don't I know if it didn't go his way. I didn't follow it too much. I, I think he, I think he lost one fight, and then I, I stopped following it for a minute. And then next one, I know he disappeared. He went to a different organization. Yeah. So, so th- there's a there's quite a few different organizations in MMA, so, similar to how like there's different governing bodies in boxing. Um, okay. They all sort of have slightly different rule sets. And from what I understand, with one championship, is that they're a larger entity in uh, the East, so that they have a lot of Asian support. I believe they're. Uh, the founder is from Singapore. So it is quite a large organization globally, but obviously as Western fans, we're, we're probably more in tune with UFC from like the American influence into the UK. Um, so it is a big organization. Um, okay. The one thing that I like about one that UFC don't implement is uh, they, they do um, take weight cutting into consideration. So they make sure that you're hydrated properly. So there's no lasting damage and, Good. I'm going off on a little tangent there because it's uh, again, it's something that um, I, I quite just like combat sports in general. But I do understand what you're saying of of reaching the heights. But in general, having that um, representation in sport is 
is very important regardless. But when a kid is looking up to um, anybody, uh, any sport, and they see somebody who looks a bit more like themselves, it becomes slightly yeah. more retrievable, in my opinion. And Thank for you. you, you set that foundation in in pool a, a very long time ago. Do you th- what what kind of advice would you give to a youngster who is is trying to be the next Rodrundle? Obviously, you are a one in a million, so I can't say uh, you, they might no, have a naturally I, I'm gifted. I'm just going to but... say, don't 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 be me. Go and be something better. You know, <laughs> yeah. Look, I, there can only be one of me, and that's me. So it's I would say go. Go be go whoever you are, whatever your name is, the young little thing. You know, go be the lion that you're supposed to be, man. Just go be yourself, man. That's that's all you ever can be. Be the best you can be, and and don't fear nothing. It's all doable. There has to be another best, another champ, another. You know, there's always another one. Be that one. Get up and do it. Don't, don't especially our people. Look where we come from. There's nothing we can't overcome. Hundred percent. It is. Is there a lot of diversity in in your sport? It doesn't seem like it from the outside looking in. So, I, I, on a, it, yeah. No, it's uh, I'm, it's only me, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's only me, bro. But that's all right. I like standing there. It's nice to be unique. You know, it's nice to nice to walk in a room and they go quiet a little bit. You know, you know. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> do, do you do you get any prejudices from that during your career or? I did. I'd, I'd had a bit of it growing up, you know. It's uh, yeah, being the only brown kid, but then it was just confirming what I already knew. You know, they're scared. That's all. It's uh, <laughs> it's all right. Listen, I, I, I had a lot of fist fights as well growing up. You know, as a junior and stuff. I was like, look, man, I ain't really gonna stand for it. Like, you know, you gotta put them up now as well. Let's go. So once that kind of, they were like, well, he ain't really no victim. This guy, you know, they found out real fast about that and just. Um, everyone kind of stayed in their lane and then then it came to the point where like it was just I was running the show that's mm-hmm. it you know and it was um you know they all go hushed then you know it's uh but it's funny I even traveled the world and, and got it elsewhere in other countries like as a grown adult and and a touring pro and you just think no you just feel sorry for people they got hate in their heart you know I ain't gonna hate my heart I'm gonna hate I ain't gonna fear in my heart either I like the word you like that. Uh, I'm not a victim because I think that that is something that is. I want to even use the word popular nowadays. Do you know what I mean? It is it's quite easy to, for for people to, feel like the victim and, and use that as an excuse. But I like the way that you said of, of yeah, I'm not a victim. I'm going to go in there and show who's boss. There. Never. You never find. That's not me, man. While there's air in my lungs, eh, you're never going to find a victim. I don't care who it is. Just no chance. You know, I'm not. I'm not like that. And. I'd, I'd, I'd hate to see someone else bullying someone too. I don't stand for that either. That's not, you know, bullying ain't cool. And, and being prejudiced, that definitely ain't cool. You know, that don't work around me. But again, I think that's, uh, again, that's sort of our our history, isn't it? It's, it, it is standing up for, for the little guy uh, from from our people. Um, two, two individuals, one has already been mentioned quite a few times that I, I sort of want to touch uh, on briefly. Um, the first one being obviously Ronnie. Um, he's one of the biggest people uh, who who was in snooker is in snooker. Um, you got to become close friends with him. You even played with him uh, as pool tag team partners. Represented England. Um, how was was he at the pinnacle of the sport when when you were as well? When when that sort of combination happened, or was he still on the come up then, or was he already a household name? 
No, like, listen, Rory was like, he, he was a superstar like, the minute he showed up, you know? He he was a superstar when he was a junior. I kid you not. They really knew he was coming. And he, um, I mean, 2005, he was, he, yeah, he, he, was, he was still running the show. And um, I was just doing my bit. And I just got a call out of nowhere, you know? It's just, yeah, you get that East London accent. Oh, all right, Raj, where are you? Hey, listen, mate. You know, and I thought, Oh, look, that's my brother. And the truth is, from the first day him and me met, we've been like family. You know, it's, uh, I got a lot of love and respect for that guy. He's, he's solid, man. They, they don't build nobody like him. He's a, he's a one-off, one-off, one. And that's the truth. That's, forget the snooker and playing and all of that stuff. Like, yeah, that's uh, that's real legendary. You know, you got you got to mention his name with people like Tiger Woods and Roger Federer and people, you got to show some respect. I put all that aside just as a geezer, as, as, a, as a brother. You know, he's a beautiful soul. Beautiful soul. Good geezer, man. He's family to me. It's good to hear. It's good to hear. Obviously, when you see idols on the screen, you, you always want to hope that they're, they're the same, like, behind the scenes as well. And, and from what you're saying, he is. The other person is, um, and I know this is a, a similar level of high respect that you hold him in, is Steve Knight. Oh, man, Steve Knight. Yeah, he's, uh, I miss Steve. You know, he's gone. He's not with us in the physical anymore. But um, Steve's a mate. Uh, he was a, he was a, a big mentor in, in my life uh, with, the, with the playing pool as well. Mm-hmm. Look, the first tournament I played in as, as a... I, I hadn't even turned professional, so I was like semi-pro, about to turn pro. Yeah. I finished third place. It was a ranking event in the UK. And I was like, you know... Uh, just new to it, didn't really know, but I just had raw talent. And he was the number one in the UK at the time. He walked up to me and he goes, listen, kid, he goes, you're going to be the, the next one. He goes, you're like, it's you, I can see it. He goes, I've been looking everywhere. He goes, I couldn't find nobody. He goes, and he was in his prime right there. And he goes, yeah, he goes, it's, he goes, you're, you're next up. You know, it's, um, and then he took time out in his own life to help me, you know, kick me some knowledge and show me how to how, how to how to move when we were in the cave, you know, like while we're there in the pit playing pool. Yeah. He taught me so many things, you know, so so many mindsets and ways of looking at things and and, and even shots and techniques and certain, you know, and it's I'm grateful for him. He he was heaven sent to me. You know, it's and it's a shame. Look, he, his life he kind of got cut a little short. And but that's, you know, that's what was written. And uh, we miss him. You know, I miss him a lot. The Night Rider. There's only one of him. Listen, man, he went into, he came into an arena on a motorbike. You got to get it right. On a Harley Davidson, he rode in like, you know, like like it was the Terminator or something. And it was crazy, <laughs> you know. That's the Night Rider, bro. That's, uh, put some respect on his name. That's my brother. Rest in peace. And, and he, um, obviously, like you said, when he was at the top and, and he seen that you were going to reach the, um, he, when he was sort of helping you out on the early days, he gave you a cue. Am, am I right in saying that? And and yeah. and with that cue, you won the world title with that cue, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. That's crazy. I still got it too. I still got it too. You know. Am I right in saying that you retired the cue after the world title? I did. Yeah, I said I, I've got to put that cue away now because it's it's priceless to me. Wow. So just in case something happened to it, I said, right, I've got to, I've, I've been offered a lot of money for that queue too. A lot of people said, oh, look, let me come and get it. I said, no, that's like, you know, that's never coming. 
that's that that gets passed down. Wow. Ooh. And it shows the, the the high regard that you hold him in. If that if that's going to be one of your treasured items, not just because of obviously your accomplishment with it, but obviously the story of him giving it to you at, at such a young age. Um, we touched on it before about promotion. Yeah. I know this is something that you're working on in the future. Uh, well, it was already set up, but I think COVID potentially got in the way. Um, PBL, um, Premier Billards League, I want to say. Uh, tell me a bit more about that. Uh, well, in, in a nutshell, I mean, there's a hell of a lot to say, but in a nutshell, that would be um, like what the IPL is for, for cricket, you know, and like what, what the NBA is for basketball. That's what we are for American Pool, where you've got the world's best from all different parts of the globe. Uh, I'm talking the best as well. Not like these are not just anybody. I'm talking about, you know, uh, world title holders from every country in Europe and world title holders from Asia and world title holders from America. And it's every player is a bona fide champion, is a hard hitter and, and well respected within the game and, and is well known as well. Like, you know, uh, would have featured on TV many times and, and had great wins. So we got the best of the best there. And we put together a league that is like no other, uh, not, not only for format and structure, but for production is like we're, you know, the production, like we're on some Spielberg tip here. It's like, <laughs> it's going to be something real, real special. So basically we just shoot our first event, which is basically um, the soft launch of the tour. Okay. And, and and really more than anything is to put our footage together for, uh, look, we got certain, I can't go into too much detail, but, we got certain deals on the table with certain networks and, and certain sponsors and, and management companies. And they're just waiting for the production. They believe in the production and love what we got. But I just said, just hold on a minute, guys, because I, I want to run it through anyway and see how beautiful this thing's really going to look on screen. And, and I want you guys to see it, you know, because they say the proof's in the pudding. And if you want to get paid, you got to give them a taste, you know, and we're, we're, and I like it. Look, I, I, I was signed to like Matchroom Sport, which is Barry Hearn and them since I was like 17 years old. You know, they, they found me real young. And I'm grateful for them. They, they give me a lot of opportunities, put me on TV uh, throughout my whole life, you know, and, and it was cool. But I got to go do my own thing, you know. Uh, I just, I want to do my own thing. I like I like being a little disruptive as well. And, and, and you know, I think sometimes you got to do, you got to do something different, you know, and I'm lucky. I've got a good team of people together. Uh, we've got some great sponsors and investors. And we, look, we're basically going to own our own production. So it, it's, um, it's spectacular. But for me, I'm still playing in it too. Okay. So I sit on the board. I'm, I'm, I'm playing in it. You know, I'll be, I'll be doing some punditry. I'll be doing, you know, some commentary with it. And basically it's like, you know, it's, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of the core partners of owning the whole thing. So I'm, I'm, so lucky you know get to be my own boss definitely is it like what you were saying before with uh the ufc and one championship comparison as, as you want to be the ufc you want to be the the proven ground for for the world's elite to actually come and test themselves against the very best but in in yeah. pool yeah i mean it's and then look that's just one production so we'll have the uh, the pbl running which is like the ipl and um there's nothing to say uh, we can't give you any more leagues, you know, in other parts of the world or, or we start putting our own world championships on and our own, like, you know, there's there's no... And we're going to tweak the game a little too in terms of the equipment. 
This is going to okay. be a fun one. I'm not going to give too much away, but we're going to tweak the equipment just a little bit. So you might see a bit of a change in some sizes and and the rules too. So, you know, we'll, we'll although it's uh, uh, primarily nine ball that we're playing, there'll be some tweaks in the rules. So, yeah, it'll it'll almost be, you know, you could call it the PBL nine ball, you know, or whatever. We'll get we'll get a bit more precise with that once we launch, but it's it's going to be different, you know, it's going to be the new age. Look, it's like, who the hell watches test cricket anymore? No one, you know, yeah. it's like, people don't even watch 50 overs anymore. It's like, it's got to be 20. 2020, I've got, I've got lunch coming, I've got to go somewhere or dinner. Or, <laughs> yeah, people are busy, right? So you need, things are getting very hybrid these days, you know, it's, mm -hmm. uh, things, are, things are moving different. Don't remind me of T20. I'm still recovering from yesterday. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I didn't. Um, I didn't watch it. and I didn't care. And I'm actually kind of hacky. I'm. I'm kind of. Uh, um, I wanted to watch it, but then I didn't want to watch it. But I'm kind of angry that um, nobody in the Indian team said a, said a damn word in 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 respect or love or anything with the farmers at all with the pro yeah. I don't even know how to say it, you know, like I had a lot of respect for guys like Sachin Tendulkar and them, but that's out the window now, mate. I'll be honest with you, because that kind of stuff means more to me. Um that's what that my forefathers are, are farmers. And I'm gonna mm. tell you something, you can have nothing on your plate without farmers. I don't care where you live or what lifestyle you think you got going on. Without those farmers, you ain't got nothing, mate. And these these guys like like uh Sachin Tendulkar, he never said nothing. And he, he put some dodgy tweets out that looked like he was paid to put them out. Yeah. I can't tip my hat to you, mate. I can't, I can't, I ain't got no love and respect for you. That's the truth. 100%. And, and a lot yeah. of them. I'm talking about the whole team here, by the way. I'm not, I'm just singling him out because he's like the most known cricketer ever. But all of them, Paji, uh, uh, um, you know what I mean? What's he up to? You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of people in that in, in, in India in total, and Bollywood was the same. Like obviously, they use use our backdrop for a lot of the movies, but when it came down to it, they don't want to support. And I've had this conversation many times with many people on the podcast before. I did a farmers protest podcast laying out statistics, hard cold facts of what is actually happening over there. So if anybody wants to listen to that, go back and listen to that as well. As I say, it's um, we try not to get emotional and give you the hard cold facts to to basically show this injustice that was going on. Um, and and going forward, it's just put your money where your mouth is. Do you know what I mean? Like if if somebody's making a movie and they didn't stand up for farmers and and uh, and then they want to go make that movie in in the farms in Punjab then show 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 uh you support by not going to see that person's movie and that's what what's really gonna make them hurt look this this council culture is kind of scary <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like but the truth is um it, look should sell your soul you know 100 that's it should sell your soul. That's one thing you should keep. That's the one thing you're going to take to the next life. Don't sell your soul. Don't do exactly. that. Exactly. Like, everyone's human. Everyone has a moral compass. And you know when right is right and when wrong is wrong. And obviously what is going on in India is is 100% wrong and, and continues to do so. And, and we just meet, need to make sure that we all keep on top of things like this. Um, but uh, again, I'm, I'm conscious of time. I, again, I appreciate your your time greatly um before we wrap up i always ask the all my guests the same five questions uh, in like a quick fire fashion so okay yeah. if we just rattle through these sure thing 
So the first one is, um, what are you most proud of? My children. Uh, second one is, uh, what are you most looking forward to? The PBL launch event. <laughs> um, what is your biggest motivation? My children. What is your definition of success? happiness to be happy to be happy and uh, last but not least because it's the culture cast podcast how do you think your culture has affected you in your life and journey thus far greatly and i'm lucky listen uh, the blood in my veins it comes from saint warriors you know it's special very special perfect man again i appreciate your time i'll leave uh, your links to your social medias and things in the in the description um is there anything you want to say before we wrap up that's it man just thank you for today and uh, we'll do this again sometime 100 100 i'm very excited to see the pbl launch and i want to see these these tweaks in and what we can change and hybrid sports and things that i think it'll be very interesting to observe so uh congratulations uh, and and hopefully it is a, is a huge success Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Take care now. Cheers, man. Appreciate it.